Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Shitty Christians. I'm your host, Michael Tabor. And I'm Zachary Allard. Michael, I'm pretty excited about this week's episode because happy birthday. It's your birthday week. Oh, thank you. Yes. A couple days ago, I celebrated uh, a birthday by which I mean acknowledge that I will not have that many more of them because the world is a never-ending parade of horrors. Uh, but, you know, you got something on your birthday, and we're going to be excited to talk about it. The D, the, the, I, you know, you to know, steal your joke, the DNC gift-wrapped you content, if nothing else. If nothing else. You know, I was expecting universal health care from Bernie, but this will have to do. <laughs> what else are we talking about this week, Michael? And I, I'm I'm pretty excited because in many ways this is a return to form for shitty Christians. I mean, mm. we're talking all the heavy hitters. We're talking we're talking Jerry Falwell Jr. We're talking Kamala Harris. We're talking John O.G. MacArthur in the house. Oh shit! Uh, all all the evangelical heavy hitters and a cop. <laughs> I uh the I, I still think the joke that would involve all three of them walking into a bar uh would be excellent but problematically racist. Hey, listen, uh we have, we have done I I told Zach when we started this I was like, listen, I am super down to talk about the VP pick. I think it's really important. I think it's relevant to our program. Uh we are two white dudes, so we need to come correct on this. <laughs> and then Zach sent me like 100 pages of notes. So, I feel very confident that we can make that joke and it'll come out just fine. Uh, you know what's nice about about Kamala is that she's everything she's done has been in public. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the side benefit of public figures is that they're usually awful in front of us. So, Michael, what are we hitting first? Yeah, so we're going to talk about Jerry Falwell Jr., uh, oh, friend man, of the pod, personal fave. Uh, something we just yeah. uh, a person something uh you know non, what i'm gonna stand by that a, a non uh, soul-based human being that we discussed in our very first episode of shitty christians uh, i i i'm not kidding when i say i'm genuinely fascinated by this man yeah before we even get into what he did this time uh i tried to do a little research i was like okay i'm gonna pull together this segment i'm gonna get a little info and i immediately fell down the well <laughs> that is jerry falwell jr and ended up like two hours later i came out my be beard was three inches longer like he is sort of endlessly fascinating as a terrible person arguably i think much more interesting than like a donald trump figure so i'm kind of excited that we're coming at this one a little bit late uh because so many people have already covered this this news broke uh early last week unfortunately it was just after we'd recorded our podcast for last week mm -hmm. but i actually think that worked out really well because now what we get to do is the jerry falwell jr retrospective I mean, this is this is his Sports Center uh, documentary. This is this is some this HBO is his 30 for 30. shit. Yeah, exactly. This is his sixty nine for sixty nine. Okay, uh, so Zach, maybe <laughs> because I'm going to be talking a lot, maybe you can just give us sort of the like brief rundown of like what happened. Is he, he's on vacation. He's yachting, you know, as you do. Uh, Jerry and... Falwell Jr., noted beautiful boater, and also confirming the thing that we have long <laughs> suspected, which is that nothing good has ever happened on a yacht. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think there's no... Yachts were invented to traffic people. There's no way that's not Yeah, true. I mean, yachts were inve invented the same way Original Sin was invented. Like, it, it exists exclusively <laughs> so that bad things can happen in the world. Like, there's no there's no good yachters, just like there's no good billionaires. The fact that the, that Venn circle diagram is a circle is, a, you know, something to investigate. He is on a yacht, and he makes an Instagram post 
publicly. Michael, what's this Instagram post? So Jerry Falwell Jr. posted a picture. I can't stop thinking about this picture. Yeah. Uh, Jerry, let's let see. I already have so much to say that I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's just describe the picture. So one, yeah. there's Jerry Falwell Jr. Yeah. And there is another woman. Uh, both yeah. of them, this is maybe the most salient detail, have their pants unbuttoned. Yeah, I, I would go so far as to say it's a deep unzip situation. Yeah, there, there, there is some significant uh, crotch cleave going on in both of these <laughs> photos. Jerry Falwell Jr.'s paunchy fucking belly on full display, underwear in the frame. He is looking about as red-faced as any individual I have ever seen. I, I went to uh, two big... Big, big universities uh, that at times had a fairly substantial partying atmosphere. Zachary was an alcoholic for the first 33 years of his life. Yes. I don't know if I've ever seen a man be as shit-faced as this outside of a frat. I mean, you can look at his face and understand the exact mentality that led to posting this picture publicly. Because he, he exists in the state of being both incredibly inebriated and, like, has sunstroke. Like, he's clearly just <laughs> no, been, like... He hasn't out. had water in six hours. Yeah, he's <laughs> deep-sea fishing, you know. He, he's like, well, no, it's fine. As long as I catch a swordfish every hour, I don't need to imbibe any liquid other than, like, whiskey and Coke. He's become that. He's become a conspiracy theory guy. He's like, all you, all you get all the water you need from air. Everyone knows that. Yeah, every, everybody knows. It's not just the slugs. I also photo, photosynthesize. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so he's he's got his pants unbuttoned. He's holding a woman that yep. isn't his wife uh, very yep. closely. Uh, some would say uncomfortably thing. closely. The woman, as it turns out, was his wife's assistant, which lends just a great power dynamic. You know, you always love it mm-hmm. when you're partying with your subordinates on your private yacht. That's always a great setup for totally normal things. Yeah, no, that has never gone awry for uh, known pedophiles like Bill Clinton or anything. No, I mean, like, listen, every shitty Christian's party takes place on a yacht uh, surrounded by unpaid interns. We all know this. (laughs) We've been very (laughs) open about that. Wait, wait, are we our own unpaid interns in this situation? (laughs) Listen, we are exploiting ourselves to make this podcast. That is undeniably true. I spent like two full days editing the last podcast due to technical issues. I am going to start a worker uprising against myself. I uh, I'm gonna put down my own. I'm gonna put down my own revolt. Yeah, I, I'm putting myself into the guillotine as we speak. Uh, and maybe the final <laughs> detail that needs to be covered. I guess there's two. One, Jerry Falwell Jr.'s beard appears to have what was initially reported as a terrible dye job because the goatee of his beard was black, whereas he had a full beard that was white. Uh, which was just special. That'll come up. That actually ended up being a very important clue. This this sort of got seen early on as like, wow, this dude just really doesn't know how to dye his beard. But actually, that was the Rosanna Stone that unlocked this whole affair. Uh, and the final, Michael's, be- Michael's going full Indiana Jones. You can't see it right now, but but he 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 is like clutching an idol that's just in the shape of Jerry Falwell. No, Falwell's I mean, I'm not head. saying that I've ha- had an argument with two different uh, Michael's Craft Supply managers this week about their inability <laughs> to stock red yarn in the quantities that I need it. Uh, but I am saying that this is this has been in my brain, shall we say. <laughs> so, and what's the other detail, the Michael? The final detail is the infamous black water. A cup that Jerry Falwell Jr. is holding that looks, for all the world, like a rum and coke or any other sort of alcoholic beverage uh, yep. filled with delicious sugar, sugary goodness. 
uh, as well as alcohol. <laughs> but he says, no, 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 don't, you don't understand. This was just for the picture. In the Instagram caption, he assures his viewers, this is just black water. I, I can't actually, that's the part that I think about constantly. Yeah. What? What does that, it's like when Kevin Spacey was threatening the queen. Like, what does this mean? No, I mean, it is, it's very Trumpian in a way. It's the power play of the obvious lie. It's saying Mm. like, I'm lying and I know I'm lying and you know I'm lying, but I'm going to put this out there just to show that I can. I also saw some people on Twitter being like, is this an allusion to Eric Prince? And hey, I'm not here to tell you it's not. Wow. (laughs) I, I love that people immediately went that deep the wrong direction with it. Uh, so of course in the sober light of day jerry falwell jr wakes up and deletes this picture he keeps all the other vacation pictures of him in the exact same outfit because he's an idiot (laughs) he's the dumbest man in the world Uh, but he deletes this picture but of course of course this has already been captured by the entire internet and this is being shared around so jerry falwell jr now has to give an account for why he's holding a a woman that isn't his wife with both of their pants unbuttoned and what he came up with (laughs) was in many ways beautiful Uh, because i'm just gonna i'm gonna spoil my own segment here and say like my take on this is this is like the 15th least offensive thing that jerry falwell jr has ever done Oh, for sure. And it's astounding that this is the thing that brought him down. But what he claimed was, or what he maybe obfuscated was, that this was, in fact, not just an absurd picture of two people in various states of undress with his paunch and gut and uh, underwear hanging out. This was a costume party. I love this. A costume party uh, in, in appreciation of the Trailer Park Boys incredible explanation which is a tv show that i've gotten a lot of enjoyment out of it's canadian comedy made on a shoestring budget about dudes in a trailer park and it's largely pretty funny it's the only great canadian tv show but damn it if it's not good it's very good and and what's amazing about this is that it seems to be true because another thing that got posted (laughs) and then deleted oh no it it absolutely seems to be true it got posted and then deleted it was a video from the yacht showing all the other people dressed up in various characters and it it appears to be actual reality that this is what was happening jerry falwell jr was doing a costume party for a show (laughs) that liberty university would find their students for watching it just also doesn't feel like something he would enjoy i think that this really speaks to the ability of conservatives to take media and like even when it's obvious satire of them uh, turn it around and make it into something they're they're here for. Uh, think of the Colbert Report. Uh, oh yeah, no, I I mean we knew we knew conservatives who loved the Colbert Report, yeah, who adored the Colbert Report because even as much as the entire thing exists as satire, you can never underestimate someone's ability to ignore satire and irony and just be like, yeah, no, I'm into this. Uh, but two, the Trailer Park Boys, notably a fairly crude television show, and that's not my word. I don't give a shit. Uh, that's the word of the kind of people that run hey, institutions like Liberty sh- University. Sh- shitty Christians would never be down with crudity. Yeah, I want to no. say here right now. <laughs> uh, us and Abby Shapiro out here advocating modesty. One piece is for men. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Singlets for boys. Co- cover up those hairy breasts. So this appears to be actually what they were doing. They were having... 
<laughs> a costume party. So and then dumb. his explanation, he went on a local uh, radio station to offer further explanation. And I listened to this thing like 15 times because I wanted <laughs> to write it down verbatim. Uh, and I wanted to get every um and uh and like. And of course, of course, I could have just clipped the audio and dropped it in here. But you know what? Shitty Christians goes above and beyond. So here is, Zach, my rendition of the Jerry Falwell Jr. explanation slash confession. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I, uh, I hope our listeners know the effort to which you go through, the, the verite. Uh, I've been sipping chamomile tea for the last 48 hours to prepare for this reading. So... <laughs> Uh, you know, it was uh, it was it was weird because uh, she was she's pregnant, so she couldn't get her she couldn't get her pants up, and uh, I was like trying to like uh, my I had a pair of jeans on that I hadn't worn in a long time, so I couldn't get up, so I just put my belly out. I was just putting my belly out like hers, and she's my wife's assistant, a sweetheart, and I should never have put it up, embarrassed her. Um, because anyway, I've apologized to everybody, and I promised my kids I'm gonna try to be better. I mean, I'm gonna try to be a good boy from here on out oh wow <laughs> try to be a good boy and then the interviewer in what i can only describe as the most hard-hitting journalism of 2020 says so was this like a trailer park boys thing and he goes eh, you know whatever whatever it was a costume party we were on vacation it was all in good fun what i love about that zachary other than everything, aside from yeah aside from every uh, single other detail. than every single um uh like the fact that this interview happened days later and he's still reacting as if somebody <laughs> like immediately called him up right after he posted this crap uh and he's still just like I, yeah i mean you know uh but other than that what i love is that the thing that he sort of demurs on is the trailer park boys reference the thing that he, the thing that he disavows, not unlike you know the Nazis at Charlottesville, uh, the thing that he will not actually acknowledge is the Trailer Park Boys reference. That like my my favorite bit is when he talks about like uh, she couldn't get her pants up, as if that's like a normal thing pregnant women struggle with. Like it's true. You walk around. I I I walk around the city all the time, and I see pregnant women all the time. Just trying and failing yeah they've never they've pants. never made clothing to help women address this issue that's never existed that's true that doesn't exist a genre of clothing for pregnant women doesn't exist so yeah so basically what happened is that jerry falwell jr was having a good old time he was having in essence every high school party i ever attended which is to say kind of gross and a little problematic <laughs> But what he did was he broke... High school Michael canceled. <laughs> yeah, high school Michael certainly canceled. Uh, but what he did was he broke the first rule of high school partying, which is you don't take fucking pictures. Yeah, what the fuck, dude? Bro, this is the sacred code. Uh, and so this ended up becoming a national news story. It was obviously very public. He obviously published it himself. And it ended a few days later. No, I wouldn't say ended. The next thing that happened a few days later is that Jerry Falwell Jr. stepped down as president of Liberty University. So good. Which is kind of amazing. Uh, because that sort of brings me to like what blows my mind about all of this is that how how is this the thing <laughs> that brings this man down this man has been an absolute villain in public eye for a solid decade at least and has really ramped up the open villainy 2015 style uh when he jumped on the trump train before pretty much everyone else 
yeah he was he was uh they they met at the uh they met the same strip club everyone knows that everybody knows that they met at the same gay friendly miami nightclub and (laughs) and so this guy that has been outright using his position for nothing more than to pay off his friends and the people that fuck his wife uh somehow this picture with a little bit of gut hanging out is the thing that brings him down (laughs) which i think is actually an indictment of the evangelical culture that both produced him and was totally fine with him up until this oh, yeah. point. So let's it's, go. Yeah, go through it. Go, no, no, go, no. go off. I game. mean, I've been talking for a while. Zach, do you have anything <laughs> no, to say? No, no, I was just going to say, like, it definitely is an indictment because it's like, uh, first of all, you hate to see the body shaming of it. But secondly, well, we, I think. Yeah, I, I have more I, to say on that, but keep going. I think what's amazing is they're definitely down with, like, all the crimes you're about to list, but they're not down with, like, you posting about it and, and looking gross at the same time. Yeah. The, the, I think they're, it, like, you can have someone fuck your wife as long as you have plausible deniability. The not even plausible, implausible deniability would have been enough <laughs> to keep this guy going. Okay, so let's go through it. I, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this because we covered a lot of this information before on previous episodes. But, like, let's just give the highlights, shall we? So we've got the Florida pool boy. Um, this 21-year-old, uh, you know, Hercules-style gentleman. Hottie. that just he the met, hottest man I've ever seen. He met at what was functionally a swingers nightclub that was well-known for mm-hmm. its partying atmosphere. Uh, him and his wife both sort of, I don't know, groomed, flew on their private plane to hear Trump speak at Liberty University, and eventually yep. gave $1.8 million to so that this guy could open his own hostel. Uh, which it's, everybody likes to refer to as gay friendly hostel. Uh, but, you know, listen, I'm just here for that. I, I have no complaints. I wish Liberty yeah, I mean, University was more gay friendly. The only thing I like about Jerry Falwell Jr. is he's a little freaky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they gave this guy almost $2 million. And the only reason any of this came out is because there was some other random business partner in the mix who got upset that they felt like they were getting cutting out, cut out. So they filed a lawsuit. And in this lawsuit, we find out that it is, in fact, Michael Cohen, Trump's fixer lawyer who ended up in jail for a long time, got in the mix to save Jerry Falwell Jr. from some compromising photos that, depending on who you (laughs) ask, were either of him or his wife. Uh, And his wife potentially with other people. Because, again, Jerry Falwell Jr., freak in the sheets. Um, Or at least man who likes to watch freaking in the sheets. (laughs) Freak adjacent to said sheets. Exactly. Uh, You also have... So that that was just that fun thing, which ended up uh, culminating in Jerry Falwell Jr. surprise endorsing Trump after he had already agreed to endorse Ted Cruz, who was sort of the diva de facto evangelical choice at that time and so ted cruz was expecting that evangelical like association but all of a sudden it was trump and you know we all see how that turned out Um, uh we said it this in the initial episode a a hot pool boy may have gotten trump elected certainly did more than any of our votes collectively did um (laughs) hurrah democracy it's so funny i wish i could say that was the only time that uh jerry falwell jr has used his personal or school resources in order to fund uh i don't know his own cucking um but there's also the story of his personal trainer uh (laughs) benjamin (laughs) you know benjamin crosswhite uh benjamin crosswhite was sold property that liberty university owned he was sold it while having to put up zero percent of his own money for it oh wow so the way that that worked was they gave him a sweetheart deal 
Then they paid him a decade's worth of rent in advance that he was able to put onto the cost of the property, and then they financed the remainder for him. Wow. I uh, can't say I've seen too many deals like that That's before. so weird. And so what they ended up doing was functionally giving away Liberty University resources to Jerry Falwell Jr. and his wife's private trainer, and then paying that man for the use of those resources. Sure, you know. That totally that totally normal thing that people do. Uh, Falwell described this as a business mentorship of this mm. young man. The man himself was a Liberty University gra- graduate and also Stone Cold Hottie. Has to be said. Man, he's got good taste. Benjamin I'll Crosswhite has been hitting that CrossFit. There are multiple other stories of him giving sweetheart development deals to uh, personal friends, using school resources. He gave his son... Uh, the management, like his son created a management company that he then put in charge of an entire mall that Liberty University owns. Um, But there are also just a lot of randos that appear to be getting sweetheart real estate deals as a result of Jerry Falwell Jr.'s intervention. And one of the senior university officials said off the record for a Politico article that I highly recommend you guys all go and read. Just Google Jerry Falwell Jr. Politico. And he says, we're not a school. We're a real estate hedge fund. We're not educating. We're buying real estate every year and taking students' money to do it. Wow. We've acknowledged it before, but Jerry Falwell Jr. is not an ordained minister at all. He was a lawyer and real estate guy for his entire career. And once Jerry Falwell Sr., uh, who we've talked about a little bit on the show, but have not delved into nearly as much, died, he had already set up that his Jerry Falwell Jr. would take over the university and his other son would take over the the church that Jerry Falwell Sr. Yeah. pastored forever. And sure. the idea you know, was... As one does, you pass along universities and churches to your children. Totally, we all know that. Totally normal behavior. And so the idea was that his younger son would in fact be the spiritual steward of Liberty University. But as this Politico article points out, that is increasingly not the case. And it seems to be defined by Jerry Falwell Jr.'s wife, Becky, who has a history of being incredibly involved and the good hair the running (laughs) of liberty university that's an excellent joke zach just want to take a second to appreciate that uh so she herself (laughs) was responsible for pushing uh jerry falwell jr's brother out who who went from doing convocations Mm. every few weeks to doing one or two a year uh he had positions of authority in the school obviously not the president and those all went away over a handful of years and increasingly this just becomes an esau and esau story of a of a father who set up (laughs) you know his dynasty for two sons both of whom are terrible and (laughs) and then one of them just slowly pushes the other one out jerry falwell jr himself acknowledges this he had a tweet when somebody was calling him out on the fact that he only ever speaks at the chapel when he's giving political arguments and he never does any of this like spiritual side of liberty university uh, so mm-hmm. this is his own tweet. He says, Universe, or Univ president for the last 12 years, student body tripled to 100,000 plus, endowment from zero to 2 billion and 1.6 billion new construction in those 12 years. The faculty, students, campus, and pastor at David Nasser are the ones who keep Liberty University strong spiritually. While I am proud to be a conservative Christian, my job is to keep Liberty University successfully, successful academically, financially, and in athletics absolutely you know just being like yeah no i don't i don't touch that shit like my whole job is to create 1.6 billion in new construction 
uh, and then pass out those contracts to my friends and people who fuck either me or my wife, depending on who you ask. Uh, to go through the or last the few details, yeah, uh, and then we'll get to the end of this. He allegedly, according to this Politico article, but it was confirmed by several sources, sent a picture of his wife in a French-made outfit to several university administrators and then apologizing, saying it was meant to be sent to that personal trainer that we mentioned earlier, Crosswhite, as a thank you for helping uh, the Falwells meet their fitness goals. Uh, He is legendary, like (laughs) Lyndon Johnson style, for talking about his sexual proclivities and abilities (laughs) to university staff and administrators. Uh, And he has a long history of, shall we say, mentoring young men, uh, particularly hot bods in their 20s and early 30s. I don't, I, I have a theory that nobody who is like any modicum of power is like sexually normal anyway. That like the moment you're like become like even like a low manager at like a Yeah, the second the second that you're the night shift manager at a Rite Aid. You're immediately like trying to like fuck exploit your your employees. You're like you're the one person that you supervise for six hours on Thursdays. You're like, I need like I just have to be creepy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's almost like there's a problem with masculinity in our country <laughs> yeah. and the world. Oh, man. All right, bring it home. Yeah, so what I love about this is that in many ways, this whole like Trump, Falwell Jr., the whole interrelation mm. between them is yeah. actually just a reflection of his daddy. Like it is, it is echoes of the fail son uh, because you have both Falwell Jr., who is a reflection of his father, Falwell Sr., who had a very similar relationship with Reagan uh, that Falwell mm-hmm. Jr. has to Trump. And then you have Trump, who obviously, like, references Reagan. He, I mean, he's maybe the only president that Falwell Jr. doesn't shit on, or sorry, that Trump doesn't shit on regularly. <laughs> you know, he is the lodestar that Trump prays to at night, the only time that Trump, you know, pulls his mouth from his double cheeseburger long enough to pray. And uh, <laughs> what you have here is history repeating itself, but with far less competence. It is It is absolutely the large sons are in charge now, and they're doing the exact same thing and hurting the exact same people. They're just doing it way more incompetently and with arguably way more rape. Since the George W. Bush years at minimum, but probably before then, uh, the era of sons. And we're not the first people to mention it, but it is just is, uh, is sons all the way down. The sons, have, the sons are driving the car. God help us all. Um, yeah. Or sorry, they no, tend the to- sons are driving the yacht. God help us all. Not bad. Uh, and like uh, everybody from Laura Bush to Teddy Kennedy, there tends to be a body. Oh, yeah. Dig, dig, dig long enough or hard enough and you will you will find uh, the victims and all of this. Uh, yeah. So, Zach, let's speak of someone who isn't a son. <laughs> we will speak of the Bay's proud daughter. Yes. Kamala Harris. Uh, Michael, what happened this week? Since I'm going to be talking a lot for this one, yeah. why are we talking about someone who couldn't even pull above fourth or fifth in her own state? You know, that's that's a question I can't answer for you, Zach. <laughs> You're going to have to tell me <laughs> why the fuck I, I'm having to talk about this right now. I actually do have an answer for you. It's just going to take a little bit. But Michael, what happened this week? So this uh, on my birthday, uh, Joe Biden reached out <laughs> and he said, he said, Michael, Michael, I know, I know you've been upset. I know since the death of the Bernie <laughs> campaign that you've been feeling a little a little blackpilled about the state of the world. Biden said blackpilled. He's very hip with it. Yeah, um, it's cool of him. And he's like, I just wanted to assure you that all of these assurances that you've been getting from libs that I can be pushed left, uh, those are all true. 
Mm-hmm. You can you can believe them. They were always right. And the way that I'm going to tell you that you can know that is that I'm going <laughs> to pick a second in command that can really uh, bring your values to the people. And I got really excited. And then he uh, <laughs> unveiled Kamala Harris. And I realized that all hope is lost. And, and then uh. and, and then I realized that it's my birthday and I can cry if I want to. Listeners, you're not hearing the the racked sobs between every word. (laughs) This is another shitty Christian standby. Uh, Back in the long ago of the primary, we talked about Kamala back then. And the line on Kamala back then, we didn't even have to spend much time on it. She was a cop, and it was funny that she was losing. That was pretty much how her primary went. Yeah, I mean, didn't take a single delegate in any state. She dropped out before she could even run in her That's home true. state. That's true, yeah, you're right. What was I thinking? She was pulling behind a bunch of white people <laughs> in California. Um, she was pulling behind Liz Warren in California. Yeah, I mean, I remember thinking that, like, uh, <laughs> there was a potential for her to be, like, a, a, a real threat, a real front runner. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah. as we have seen... The two candidates that flamed out hardest and quickest uh, ended up being the ones that we get at the end of the day. Uh, that seems totally normal and fine, right? Yeah, you know, the D- Democratic Party loves responding to the will of the people. Yeah. That's why they pick someone with a huge base as Biden's heir apparent. I already mentioned this, but just in case, I told Zach, I was like, listen, we're two white di- dudes with the podcast. Uh, you know, we got to we got to make sure that we're doing this the right way. And then Zach went into a fugue state for approximately three days. Um, (laughs) And when I saw him again, his brain had swelled uh, beyond the bounds of his skull. Uh, You know, just little ripples of brain dripping around his earlobes. And he he spoke to me, but his mouth did not move. And he said, (laughs) I have seen the darkness and it has brought the light. And uh, that was basically the intro to this segment. Some people go down a K-hole, but I have been K-pilled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Zach, Zach, uh, Zach actually originated the gold circle around his Twitter profile picture. Uh, it, was, it came from the <laughs> halo around his head when he received this knowledge. So I think the thing that's been driving me the most insane is the moment, the fucking moment. We live in California. I have a lot of industry lib friends etc whatever uh from everywhere from like where we went to school to uh like where we currently work uh and i just want to say i have seen about 10 million posts from people from everybody from ava duvernay to just people i'm friends with on instagram who i'm not going to name who are just no no like, put, hey. put their names on the pod zach yeah let's put them this is a once. call out uh being like hey we know kamala ain't perfect we get it yeah, a bunch uh, a bunch of white white dudes saying ain't. <laughs> that's how you yeah, that's yeah. how you know it's that everything so is good. normal and good. Look, Kamala, she's not perfect. She's terrible. She may have committed crimes against humanity, but I don't care. We're not going to talk about it. We're going to you can't say anything negative about her because the Republicans are going to be terrible about this. Yeah, if if you mention anything about her record, <laughs> things she has said, things she has done, things she has taken, mm-hmm. people she has taken money from, you are in fact a Trump supporting sexist racist. Yep, you are doing a racism. That's a bodies in space thing. Yep. You need to stop. So, uh, welcome to the we're canceled now episode of Shitty Christians. Uh, that was episode one, Michael. <laughs>
So I knew she was terrible, I knew she was a cop, but again, I never had to do the deep dive. Because what's funny about Kamala is that she has no base of support. She was never gonna get anywhere, she was never popular, no one fucking likes her. But she was picked, so here we are. So it turns out she's not just a cop. You know she's arrested too many people, we'll get into that. But it turns out she also has not arrested enough of the right people. Yeah, if you're going to be a person who arrests, maybe who you arrest should be a relevant metric of your success. There's a great article in The Intercept where I'm going to pull pulling this a lot, of, a lot from. But it turns out she was pretty cozy with the Catholic Church. So, from The Intercept, Fighting on behalf of victims of sexual abuse, particularly children, has been central to Harris's political identity for the better part of three decades. She specialized in prosecuting sex crimes and child exploitation, blah, blah, blah. She has used this to campaign. However, when she got elected district attorney of the state of California, when it came to taking on the Catholic Church, survivors of clergy sexual abuse say that Harris turned a blind eye, refusing to take action against clergy members accused of sexually abusing children when it met confronting one of the city's most powerful political institutions. So, what essentially happened, there's a lot of detail here. Uh, I actually think this article might be worth putting in the show notes. And basically, her predecessor who wasn't perfect, but was a prosecutor by the name of Hallinan, uh, had actually been working to go after local dioceses in the Bay. Um, Hallinan's team had prosecuted t uh, cases of abuse that occurred decades earlier and had gathered a huge amount of evidence as part of a probe into misconduct. Oh, so they, now, they were spotlighting this whole thing. They were yeah, getting they in they actually there. were. Hallinan was in there. He was kind of doing the thing, blah, blah, blah. Kamala comes in and... Uh, keeps the files hidden. Hallinan believed that the clergy abuse files were a matter of public record, but Harris refused to release them to the public. Jesus. Okay, okay. All right. <laughs> Listen, and, Zach, uh, Zach, yeah. I don't appreciate these attacks uh, because she had important work that she was doing, like throwing <laughs> people into jail for smoking weed. But the only reason that Catholics abuse children is because they're so high all the time. So she was trying to address the root cause of the problem, not just the symptom. Uh, so, Zach, I really don't think this is a fair line of critique. <laughs> Even more. In her seven years as district attorney, Harris's office did not proactively assist in civil cases against clergy sex abuse and ignored requests by activists and survivors to access the cache of investigative files that could have helped them secure justice. So this was straight up a cover-up. Yeah, there's, there's, there's like, no generous reading of this. Like, not one. Uh, she, because the Catholic Church is, is a powerful institution anywhere, but it is, as the article talks about, really powerful in San Francisco for a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, I mean, you see people like Nancy Pelosi, like, who are very Catholic. Like, the church in the Bay. Uh, excuse like me, really Joe Biden, thing. our Catholic king. <sighs> Man. <laughs> yeah no I, I mean obviously the, we've talked about it before but the catholic church is has incredible institutional political power uh they donate a lot of money they know that the only reason they've gotten away for their shenanigans as long as they have is because they pay pay the pauper uh or you know they kiss the ring so they do what they got to do yeah and, and so you know as a kicker the you know the sf weekly a local alternative newspaper pressed harris to release abuse personnel files in 05 and again in 2010 and in both time both cases she refused listen she's just taking girl boss to its logical conclusion which is a girl who is a terrible boss yeah no uh 
what you what people mean when they when they say that they uh they want more black or female CEOs that they want more black or female criminals and I just think I can't get on board with that myself. I, I what we're joking about and I think maybe we we should probably not joke about it is you know we're we're frustrated by the idea that like legitimate critiques of someone's record, behavior and service and the things that they have done and accomplished while in the public service like sector are not legitimate grounds for critique because of their identity and what yeah we are all for identity politics we are actually not class reductionist socialists we believe in the intersectionality of race and class and gender like uh and sexuality like all of these things really matter and and that is a reflection of a god that we worship who cares about all of those things um and like so we are not trying to do the white bro socialists like oh like you you her identity doesn't matter uh you know having a black female potential vice president pick doesn't matter but what we are saying is like there is still absolutely should be room to evaluate the behavior of this individual based on what they did and that anyone who is trying to tell you that like we must ignore the crimes of a joe biden or a kamala harris because Trump exists is grifting you and you know the left gets accused of being grifters a lot often by other members of the left but there is no bigger <laughs> grift right now in our politics than the Democratic Party telling you shut up our crimes don't matter even when often they are the same crimes covering uh, up for the Catholic Church exclusively covering up for the Catholic Church bro that's a Republican talking point what are we doing Zach bring it home bring it home uh, you, you have a note at the end of this section that I think is really yeah. telling to why this actually matters. And it's not just us ranting into a void. Or yeah. So I'm going to include the article in the show notes. But according to the testimony of some people who were involved in civil litigation and, and sort of trying to fight this battle, some of the abusers that they wanted data from uh, data on from Kamala have continued to abuse according to people close to this. And that's all you need to know. Yeah, we could, we, we won't, but we could end this segment now because at the point in which you are yeah, that's actively using your uh, democ uh, democratically given power to harm the people that you were sworn to serve, I'm sorry, I'm done. I'm done. And are there yeah, gradients no. to that? Sure, absolutely. Do that? Does that gradient in any way excuse children being harmed because you didn't want to go after the institutions that were harming them? No. It speaks to a sort of worldview from her. I think because she said, I think last year, she said last year that she believed Joe Biden's accusers. Yeah. Uh, and now she's like running for president along him. She came I at mean, him for busing and now she's running along at president. Like she has no belief. Yeah, their, their whole interaction up to this point has been Kamala the takedown. Right. Per, like Kamala, like coming at him hard. Like how many times have I seen the tweet being like, you know, this is why I love having a prosecutor working in public service because they just come with those hard hitting questions. It's like, yeah, for the vast majority of a career, those like questions and uh, conclusions were directed at poor black people. But sure. Yeah. Ain't she a boss? Yeah, but yeah, but but go off, King. Okay. Now, no, now, I mean, now it, who's now who's saying ain't? Now what white dude is saying? Right, ain't it, it's part of. It, it, it's just, you know, you can, you can, it's very easy to tell as we're going to get into her political past. Uh, yeah, let's, let's, her, let's get past the Joe child Biden. abuse, shall yeah. we? When it benefits her, she goes after it. When it doesn't benefit her, she doesn't. She does. So, what about the rest? So, her, she began, by the way, uh, 
I would say softly corrupt, you know, in the way that so, a lot of democratic politics in California is, like a very buddy buddy. Um, one of her early gigs was in 1994 when she was appointed as a member of the California Medical Assistance Commission, which oversaw blah, blah, blah. And now it's a part-time job that took a few hours a month. How much was she paid a year for this, Michael? $72,000. Isn't that fucking insane? And she was selected for this position by Willie Brown, her boyfriend. Yeah, her boyfriend, who was solidly, I think, three decades her senior. Oh, point. easily. And and gave her a number of cushy positions. So uh, one of the ways in which she got into politics was by dating a powerful player who essentially gave his romantic partner free money from government coffers. So that's yeah, a and, great and way and to like, start Again, out. we are treading on dangerous ground here. I know. Because we, we, are, we are stepping up to the plate and saying, like, hey, this is kind of gross. Uh, and let's say it's it's... Far more gross for Willie Brown to oh, yeah. exploit Willie his Brown position of power <laughs> to appoint somebody to a position uh, where they get paid that amount of money for that little work. Like, like Willie Brown is the villain here, for sure. Uh, but it doesn't change the fact that like Kamala Harris began her political career with what is, at least from the outside, undeniably corruption. So, Zach, take me through the origins of the Kamala is a cop meme. <laughs> Well, she was a cop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so, like, she became... The way she became kind of famous and not just uh, someone who was, like, getting a bunch of money for doing nothing was she became... She became part of the DA's office in California, and then she ran against her boss, Hallinan, who we've referred to. Now, yeah. she ran... Uh, she has styled herself, I should say, as kind of a reformer. When she ran for, actually, district attorney, she ran as a tough on crime alternative to Terrence Hallinan. Oh, good. Now, oh, that totally good and normal thing. I love it. And any of our politicians say they're tough on crime because that definitely means they're going after people after corporations and the people that exploit the labor of those under them. And definitely doesn't mean uh, we lock people who have smoked weed and or crack uh, f away for decades. So this is to say what she was running against. Hallinan had been elected in 95. He never sought the death penalty. He pushed for the legalization of prostitution. He believed in alternatives to jail for drug crimes. He fought against jailing juvenile offenders as adults. He threatened law enforcement officers with personal civil liability for not reading arrestees their Miranda rights. He made it a priority to take domestic violence cases more seriously. And the police union hated him. Oh, if you, you know what, you don't need to say another word. If the police union hates somebody, I am 100%. I will go to bat for them. I'll take a bullet for them. Police unions are the most villainous institution in America. And I'm including the church in that equation. Whoa. Uh, Whoa. So I know, I know. So like the fact that the police union hated him. I mean, that is an incredibly progressive stance for the like late nineties, you know, the super predator area. Yeah. Era. This was during Clinton's. The Clintons were in charge. That's the kind uh, of thing that you would expect. Like that is that is the halcyon days of San Francisco before it became a libertarian tech dystopia. Like the beautiful era where I like know. somebody actually fought to make the institution of criminal justice a little more just. God help us. 
So, of course, she runs against it. Yeah, uh, so she runs as an alternative to that. Cool. Uh, and immediately starts being corrupt. She blew through a voluntary 211000 spending cap that she had agreed to abide by, uh, spending about a half a million dollars. Uh, and she was rebuked by the City Ethics Commission, resulting in a $34,000 penalty. So she agreed to spend a certain amount of money, then spent two and a half times that, then spent <laughs> pay, just paid off the fine for it. Yep. Cool. <laughs> yeah, so she said she wouldn't see capital punishment. She did. Um, she said she would reform the use of enhanced sentencing, blah, 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 a bunch of good things. But once in office, Harris would revise, if not completely reverse, many of her previously stated principles. Oh, then there the were Obama the approach. Yes. Well, I mean, again, her lodestar. Harris was much tougher on drugs than her predecessor had been. In three weeks since she had taken over as DA, reviews of drug arrest cases had jumped 25% in three weeks. Jesus. In 2005, she was also turning against the city's decade-old drug court, which allowed people who were arrested on nonviolent possession and small-time sales charges just to go to a drug treatment program as an alternative to incarceration. We don't have time and to get she- into it, but just... As a brief side note, those programs have been shown to be incredibly effective at reducing recidivism and lessening the absurd load that nonviolent drug offenses present to our criminal justice system, as well as just keeping people whose only crime is suffering from addiction or in some cases just smoking weed from getting caught in a criminal system whose only solution to that is to is to throw you in jail or fine you until you are homeless. Like drug court is incredibly important to like fixing an incredibly broken system. It's a small step, but it's an important one. So of course we have, so of course she's going after it. Yeah, no. Uh, She said people had learned how to manipulate the system, which uh, the word I would use for that is uh, utilize, but Mm -hmm. let's move forward. Yeah, the way people are manipulating the system by getting paid a living wage for the first time in their life on unemployment. (laughs) Oh my gosh, right? Uh, So- Harris amplified attacks on vulnerable populations, launched new enforcement in- initiatives against parents. Oh, yeah. Um, parents for children not going to truancy. school. Yeah, yeah, they could get in trouble. And 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 she brought the hammer down on quality of life crimes, which includes things like panhandling, prostitution, graffiti, loitering, um, driving under the influence, or living in a, a homeless encampment. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. That great crime of trying to fucking survive. She ramped up stings in immigrant communities, opposed measures to legalize sex work or simply stop sex worker arrests, spread misinformation about human trafficking, ignored sexual misconduct by police, and aggressively targeted websites where sex workers advertised. She's a this re- is, fucking Republican. Yeah, no, like, I mean, like, this is, this is Broken Windows policing. This is Giuliani. Like, uh, like on, on Inauguration Day, Kamala Harris is going to rip off her Mission Impo- Impossible-style mask, and Gi- Giuliani's just going to be there like, hey... Yeah, and uh, and Biden will hug him and be like, unity. Yeah, Biden, <laughs> Biden will be like, hey, man, I said I was going to reach across the aisle. It's, it is, it is just, it is, it is incredible. And, and, and so, of course, Tulsi Gabbard uh, tagged her for this during, during the, uh, during the debates. I kind of want to cut in the audio here. I want to bring the conversation back to the broken criminal justice system that is disproportionately negatively impacting black and brown people all across this country today. Now, Senator Harris says she's proud of her record as a prosecutor and that she'll be a prosecutor president, but I'm deeply concerned about this record. There are too many examples to cite, but she put over 1,500 people in jail for marijuana violations and then laughed about it when she was asked if she ever smoked marijuana. 
She blocked evidence. She blocked evidence that would have freed an innocent man from death row until the courts forced her to do so. She kept people in prison beyond their sentences to use them as cheap labor for the state of California. And she fought to keep cash you, bail system in place that impacts poor people in the worst kind of way. I'm very upset in any situation where you make me refer to Tulsi Gabbard as based. <laughs> I, I won't apologize about it. That's my Twitter avatar is based <laughs> Tulsi. <laughs> and, and she just had no response because during the campaign, she had prosecuted over 1,500 convictions in marijuana. And during the campaign, she was, like, bragging about smoking weed. Oh, yeah. On, she like, was on, in, the on The Breakfast radio. Club talking about yeah. how, like, oh, no, it's cool. I listen to Tupac and, and, and Toke Up. I'm pretty sure that's what she said because she's a fucking cop. Because she's uh, too fucking old. She didn't even know when Tupac came out. Cause she's yeah. Uh, she, uh, she, somebody pulled out a joint on The Breakfast Club and she shot them. <laughs> uh, really but she, upsetting. You know, qualified to be, that's how to we know that Charlemagne is, in fact, the god because the bullet just went right through him. And then after her campaign implodes, she decides to just bitch about it. And so this is from an article in Mother Jones written by a black writer named Camille Squires, who uh, is awesome, just generally speaking. And she is writing about what you, a few of you might be thinking right now, which is why am I listening to two nasally, or at least one nasally white guy, tell me that Kamala sucks? Like... Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, two nasally white dudes for sure, uh, particularly <laughs> with the allergies uh, I've been dealing with lately. Right. And so I want to say I'm aware of this because she's aware of it because she whined about like the kind of white Bernie bros of this. She said, quote, I'm fully aware of that whole meme about Kamala as a cop, she said, and a grieved note creeping into her tone. <laughs> and Bullying works. <laughs> it does and there are strategic reasons people are doing that the memes she suggested was part of a calculated effort to turn a strength her record as a prosecutor into a weakness fuck this law and order bullshit i am so sick of this like reboot that she tried to make a whole career out of get this off the air yeah fuck off and so some asshole in salon uh, a white woman of course it's fine of course if people look at harris's history and feel like they would prefer another candidate but that wasn't what was happening with the kamala as a cop meme instead that was about wiping out a nuanced discussion of her history in favor of a gross generalization more to the point in practice it was mostly about a bunch of douchey white guys appropriating very real concerns blah 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 present present and accounted yeah, for yeah, that's right Here's the thing I would actually say. So this is what this uh, author, this author Mother Jones says. But the reason it was there to be picked up in the first place, the Kamala was a cop meme, is because black communities, in particular black women, had done the work of radically reevaluating Harris's record and rhetoric on criminal justice. It was about holding her accountable for past actions, which included that anti-truancy law. Uh, which threatened parents of students who skipped school or and various failures of police and prosecutors accountable. Two years after Ferguson, in 2016, Kamala called herself the top cop. Listen, listen, uh, we've we've said a lot of mean things about Kamala Harris in this in this <laughs> podcast. And I just want to say I would never, never insult somebody so much that is such egregious language <laughs> to call somebody a top cop i mean that is like 15 c words stacked on top of each other that is just <laughs> beyond the pale i would never stoop so low as oh, to call anyone a top cop that is disgusting and i i disavow uh when i say c word 
I don't mean C-U-N-T. I mean cop. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. There's a bunch more crimes that she did, uh, but we're going to kind of transition. We're going to finish. We're going to finish with this woman is saying. The Kamala as a cop meme was born of generations of research and local activism demanding reforms. Black Americans who have wildly disproportionate contact with police and prisons have had cause to be wary of a presidential candidate, even a black woman who had not only made her bones in criminal justice, but adduced her work there as a case for her presidency. On black Twitter, the meme was a reminder, not an explanation. These are her words, not mine. And I got to say, they're they're really powerful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Zach, I, I do resent you bringing on more intelligent people than us to this podcast to like share <laughs> their thoughts. It's a mistake we keep making. Uh, but that is that is very good. Why don't you read those last quotes? Conflating genuine criticism with the bad faith attacks is itself a kind of disinformation. And in any case begs the question of why Kamala as a cop was so effective to begin with. But this was the point. Harris's record suggested she saw criminal justice less as a matter of human rights than as a set of politics to be negotiated. Damn. And, and so that's why I actually think it matters. That's why I think it matters when I see my like shitty white friends being like, no criticism of Kamala. And that's why I think it matters when fucking I read the articles I'm about to get into that defend her. Like, it matters. It's not just that they're, like, trying to be like, hey, this is the flawed but good step we have to take to beat Donald Trump. It's actually disinformation. It is, in a way, gaslighting communities of color that have said she is not an ally. Absolutely. No, 100%. And here's the thing. Uh, This is the shitty Christian's guarantee. Uh, (laughs) If it's bad, we're going to call it bad. And if it's bad on our own end, we're going to call it bad. I mean, I I had this moment with my brother who I activated, you know, a couple of years ago. Uh, he was he was sort of dissatisfied with his his lib politics, and I was like, "Hey, here's here's a couple podcasts you can check out. Citations needed. It's really good." And, and then now, he, by the way, I want to say he's better leftist than all of us. Oh I'm yeah, yeah. Well, no, clear. he's and he came back a couple weeks later, and he's like, "So I joined a Marxist-Leninist Discord, and here are all the reasons why China is better than the U.S." And I was just like, "Hey, hold up." <laughs> Uh, I am not a tanky personally, uh, but like, we, and we can have the confirmation conversation about why China and the U.S. are often equivalently bad about many things. Uh, but As what we leftist, will not I fight do, pa- I fight power in all states. Yeah, spaces. but what we will not do is use the badness of one thing to defend the badness of the other. Uh, that yes. is that is unacceptable rhetoric. I will not stand for it. I do not appreciate it. It is it is a race to the bottom at that point when you start making questions of equivalency the uh, questions of morality. And we have said and we stand by there is a real case to be made for harm reduction in this election. Yeah. And whatever decision you make at the ballot box is your decision to make. And I genuinely don't think it matters in any way compared to the other things that you are doing to make your political voice heard. But. What we will not do, what we cannot do, what it is morally unequivocally wrong to do is justify the behaviors of people who are doing great harm to communities, particularly uh, communities of color, particularly poor communities, and then say like, well, we can't talk about it. We can't acknowledge it. We can't we can't hear the cries of the oppressed, because if we do, this other oppressor might win. Unacceptable. Get the fuck out of here. I want to say you're stupid. Yeah. You're stupid. It's bad thinking to say like, uh, we can't talk about this person's bad because this other person was bad. You're not you're, you're not doing politics. You're you're watching sports. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Don't talk to me. 
So the reason this is important is because we have fucking morons like Peter Beiner in the Atlantic already a rag. <laughs> saying, uh, excuse me, I'm just busy punching holes in the wall here. Keep going. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I, I am now the embodiment of right white male rage that we talked about last week with Fireproof. <laughs> like, where is my trash can? Where is my personal computer? <laughs> spend a ton of time in this article because it's actually really fucking boring the title is the best part kamala harris did what she had to do oh no kamala harris just following orders Kam- kamala harris capo and chai chief <laughs> Ka- Ka- kamala harris had to not give those abuse victims uh, records that they had on abusing clergy. That's what she had to do, man. It was it was important. It was important for something. Yeah, and so he basically just says that's blah blah blah. What people had to do to get some small change. And I'm not even gonna read any more of that article because it's just boring Atlantic shit. You know what it is? It's a lie. Yeah. The article that I think is hilarious that I can't stop rereading. Uh, like it's like it's fucking scripture. It's from the New York Times opinion page. Of course, you knew it. You saw it coming. Oh gee, they won't be defeated. Frank Bruni, Kamala Harris is the future. So Mike Pence may may well be history. Aw shit, got him. Got him. Take down. Oh, God. Okay, so he, this <laughs> is pretty I I'm reading this and I can't. All right, keep going. This is, this is like so bad, it's kind of based, actually. He begins, already, I am dreaming of the debate. Listen, we've said it before and other people have too. When people tell you who they are, listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> this man is telling on himself so hard. I, it's it's a it's a thing that's been mentioned before. These people are freaks. These people oh, are yeah. freaks. These, these oh, people yeah. who are so invested in these like purely symbolic rah rah moments. Like, I think the sports analogy is really good for this guy. This man has his pants his pants unbuttoned two buttons lower than Jerry Falwell Jr. ever could. Ah, <laughs> oh, just kill me. Yeah. He continues. <laughs> There's Mike Pence, white of hair as well as cheek. <laughs> Please, sir, 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 please. We're trying to keep this civil. Stop talking about Mike Pence's ass in the New York Times. <laughs> I just, I just, every. You I know what? Th- he, God, I, I can't even describe the foul things that he did to his own body when he wrote that sentence because he was just so <laughs> fucking proud of himself. Like, a, as a bad writer, I know what it means to once in a great while write a half-decent sentence and be proud of yourself. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, this man, I, there aren't even words for the things he did to defile his own body when he wrote that because he was so fucking proud of white of hair as well as cheek. <laughs> because get it? get it he's old and white that's a twofer every opinion columnist is a failed fiction writer whose dad has a trust fund oh every yeah it, it is exclusively the only way that opinion writers can exist is uh is on the basis of like exploitative capital because there's no way to be this stupid and survive otherwise yeah no it's 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 delicious. like we should have a social safety net for opinion columnists they <laughs> they should be wards of the state <laughs> and have no internet connection and yeah okay. yeah, that should, yeah everything would be just fine keep going and so then he says <clears throat> and there's kamala harris younger blacker and more buoyant 
buoyant? Buoyant. Buoyant. Are, is buoyant. the debate take, taking place in a waiting pool? Like, what are we talking about? Buoyant. Uh, they're also, like, five years apart. Like, <laughs> Is like, that true? Yeah, they're roughly the same age. I mean, listen, uh, I, I don't have a lot of nice things to say about Kamala, but however she's been living, it was clearly not as evil as Mike Pence, who just looks like Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, pick your movie. It's all true. Yeah, but they're roughly the same age, which That's I think is wild. incredible. Like, because by virtue of her being a person of color, this opinion columnist is like columnist is basically like she's Gen Y, she's she's a yeah. Zoomer. It's like yeah. dude, <laughs> Kamala the they're Zoomer. They're the same age. She's <laughs> she's on TikTok arresting people. <laughs> Let's continue. Under her gaze, Pence has to defend a racist, sexist president as he watches helplessly. Harris gets to talk about how that racism and sexism feel to a black woman like her. Wait, so Mike Pence in this scenario is like <laughs> locked in a room being forced to watch the Twitter feed of Donald Trump scroll by in real time. Like this man who has ascended to the second most important position in the free world, one heart attack, one cheeseburger away from the presidency. This man is the man who is standing helplessly by. Fuck out of here. How stupid are you, Frank Bruni? How fucking simple are you? Do you think Pence is going to be like, I like racism? Do you think Pence is going to be like, no, I think racism and sexism is good? Do you think, what fucking, how fucking dumb do you have to be? Do you think that's how it's going to work? Mike Pence is going to be like, it's not racist and just hey, ignore listen, it and it will be learned, fine. <laughs> if we've learned anything from Harris's takedowns, it just means that she's going to be Pence's running partner, partner in 2024. <laughs> All right, <sighs> we're gonna bring this home. We're almost, we're almost done with yeah. Kamala. <laughs> because if we don't get almost done, Michael will have a conniption. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I, I am less than a cheeseburger away from a heart attack right now. Let me tell you, <laughs> you're you're three quarters through a literal cheeseburger. I'm yeah, looking yeah. at you right now. Currently stroking out. Let's finish this pie. Harris, Bruni continues, is a distinguished public servant with a resume. U.S. Senator from California, State Attorney General, unquestionably suited to this exhilarating and daunting opportunity, here's the kicker, which she has earned. I think this is actually important because we've gone okay. hard. She has earned this position as much as any other person who has held it has. She has actually walked the path of every president and vice president before her. It is always made this way. And, and if there is one critique that I, I think is legitimate, it's that, like, if we are willing to delve this deep into her past and the work, then we must be equivalently willing to do it about every other politician because she she worked the playbook. Like, this, she he's not wrong in the se sense that, like, this is how it has always worked. She did, in fact, earn it. Earning it has always meant exploiting the underclass. Earning it has always meant being terrible to the poor like that is that is actually what being a president or a vice president means and like there should be no presidents so no one should ever be able to earn it <laughs> but in as much as we have set up the standards for this position i don't actually think he's wrong because they're all this evil yeah uh, continue also also as a brief contrast uh mike pence is an almost identical resume in terms of levels like he was in congress he 
was governor of Indiana. He also went to law school. You know yeah, what I mean? I mean like they are, they're Pence kind of is, the same Pence fucking person. Only, he's the exact same shit, except he also brings it to gay people and abortions. Like, yeah. No, he which, is again, worse, but they're is both the only bad. standard that like Republicans and Democrats want to argue on because it's the only thing they're willing to actually fight about. Yeah. And so this is where I'm going to be able to transition to my thesis here because near the end of it, he writes, Kamala, an excellent position to be the country's first female president down the line. I think that is actually really fucking hilarious. No, it's, impo- it's important to say, like, you know, we we all know Biden's going to die, right? <laughs> but I actually think I've read this in several articles where they're like, he is setting her up to be the future of the party. She's going to inherit the Democratic Party from. No, she's fucking not. I'm actually going to say right yeah. fucking now. I can predict so few things about the future. Kamala Harris will never be elected president. Biden might die. She will never be elected president. She will never inherit the party. And that is actually intentional. I kind of want to get into that. I think this is actually really interesting and important. Um, her campaign, this is where it's relevant. Her campaign was shit. She yeah. brings nothing to the table. To the point and, where and they I, have to write articles about how it's okay that she's not going to bring her home state. Like, no, there have been so many articles that have been like, I, I tweeted about this, but like, she doesn't help Biden in the electoral map. I'm like, well, then what the fuck is she doing? Yeah. And and so I was reading, uh, because again, I spent hours on this, yeah, yeah. Uh, about the death of her- Zach in a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> he just waded out of a portal into the podcast booth. I had to buy another laptop for my research that will, after <laughs> yeah. this, be thrown yeah. into the sea. And then you'll have to burn that laptop. All right, keep going. So I was reading this article in Vanity Fair uh, after she dropped out, uh, talking about how just shitty she was. From, the, from Vanity Fair, pundits loved the image from the outset, simplistically and rather condescendingly, suggesting Harris could win over black voters even though there was no polling evidence to back up the idea, based solely on the fact that she was a black woman. Poll after poll in South Carolina showed her losing black voters to three white candidates, Biden, Sanders, and even Warren. Oof. <laughs> That's a blow. She was polling in California like fourth or fifth but when she dropped out, depending on where you looked at. Um, she proclaimed at one point she would move to Iowa, campaign-focused Iowa, a desperate gambit that acknowledged its primacy over South Carolina, the state that Harris had spent so much time and air energy hyping up. But she never actually made the move, again calling into question her strategy and even her competence. Damn. So I actually think this is kind of building this case, right? So, like, you have this person who's a flawed candidate who really only has her position as senator, as the person she's been because the Democratic Party machine in California, right? And yes. and so you had this implicit question. Why her? Why her? She doesn't bring anything to the table. She doesn't bring any Southern states. She doesn't even have a base of support. Brianna Joy Gray, who is one of our, you and me's favorites, who was a uh, one of the most important surrogates Problematic in the fave, campaign. but not problematic for us. <laughs> yeah, she is wonderful. Uh, she's a black woman. She helped run Bernie's campaign. She is great. And she brought this sort of to the force. I'm going to read this quote. I may cut it in post, but... I think that to the point that she was in an interview, I think that to the point that Miss Allison was making about whether or not black voters in swing states are going to be more inclined to turn out. What we saw from poll after poll is that Joe Biden had the base locked down and he is often celebrating the fact that black voters overwhelmingly voted for him. So it's not clear to me what the electoral value of this is. When you contrast that, especially with the fact that younger voters in particular and swing voters are less enthusiastic about this campaign in part 
because they were looking for a kind of fundamental change to the campaign cycle. A desire that was only exacerbated by the health crisis and economic crisis that we're in now. And Joe Biden has articulated very clearly that he is the candidate who promises that nothing will fundamentally change. So I've just been sitting around stewing in this idea. Why? Why, why Kamala? Why Kamala? Like she actually doesn't bring anything to the table. And I realized that is the point. She doesn't bring a base to support the way Bernie and to a much lesser extent Liz does. She doesn't have her own sort of like power of support, even in her own home state. But if you look at her career, like a lot, like almost all of these people, what she is is an arguably corrupt DNC fixture. And actually, all of her support, if you think about it, comes from the fact that she was picked by the by Biden and arguably the Democratic Party to be the vice presidential candidate. Therefore, she can never, ever step out of line. The reason you pick her is because she has no power and support, because she will only do what the DNC and Biden tell her to do, because they're the only reason she's in the position she is. You pick her because you can control her, and because she has shown from the beginning, when she went after Biden on busing and has since decided to be his running mate and help wash his racist past, that she can and will be controlled for for any kind of promotion or upgrade or position of power or influence. I think that is an incredibly trenchant point. Uh, I think that like you pick her because she was already picked. She was already vetted. She was brought up in this system. She was made and molded by it. Uh, she is the bane of dnc yeah. presidential or vice presidential nominees yes zach why do you pick this person because every single lib who is telling you that joe biden can be pushed left is lying yeah uh they are lying to your face and they are lying yep. to you in spite of the evidence and they're going to look at this and they're going to say see see he picked a black woman, the first black woman vice president. Isn't that evidence that he is the most progressive candidate that we've ever had for president? And the truth is, he picked a cop. He picked a cop that's still that's still working the beat. That and they like, can still that they can still jerk the chain of. Yep. And uh and 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 it is really uh really disheartening uh that this is the space that we are in. And it's really disheartening how many sacrifices were made. Uh, by the candidates who could have fought for that change to bring mm -hmm. us to a point of getting this. And we'll see what happens after the election. We'll see if there's even, you know, a change in presidency to to fight with and for. <laughs> right. um, yeah. But like, as of right now, uh, you could not be doing more to confirm to me that the Biden administration has no interest in doing anything for the tens of millions of unemployed people uh, for the ongoing like corona crisis that we are dealing with i mean the man is on record saying like yeah i mean we got to open schools yeah all the democrats are like this yeah, is no, the like, most we should, we should out back. of step candidate for our moment picking the most out of step vice presidential candidate for our moment and i'm not saying i'm, I'm not a doomer we've said this before uh looking at polls right now which were you know about this way last mm -hmm. time but we'll see yeah. i'm not saying that he's going to lose but i am saying that one you are picking a party that is more or, or a, a campaign that is more likely to lose than basically any other option that was on the table and lots mm -hmm. of those were really bad but still a lot more likely to take this thing and two if he wins as he has promised us nothing will fundamentally change Nothing will fundamentally change. All right. So we, we have a little bit of time left uh, to get to what may be 
the biggest Christian culture war issue of the moment. You know, there's a lot going on in the country right now. Uh, we have we have the continued <laughs> protesting in the streets uh, all across this country. You know, we've seen a lot of it in Portland and Seattle, but but protests have continued. Uh, I, I encourage people try to find sources that will like show you how many people are in fact doing that protesting because you're not going to see it. Uh, on the the mainstream media, uh, <laughs> the lamestream media. <laughs> that's right. Uh, <laughs> our, our descent into reactionary politics continues. Um, <laughs> no, stop it. <laughs> but uh, but you know it's important. As we said, we said a couple weeks ago when we were talking about like what a difference it would make for churches to get in this fight and start engaging in the kind of civil disobedience that we are seeing all around the country. And that's why I am so proud of John MacArthur uh, for stepping into the fray, fighting back <laughs> against unjust governments and keeping his church open and filled with thousands of people during the midst of the pandemic. Oh, wait, oh, wait, sorry. I didn't read the article. I just saw that uh, MacArthur was saying he was going to engage in some civil disobedience. I really, this is my bad, guys. I really should have read a little <laughs> deeper. Uh, this is... <laughs> I asked you to, but you know what? Who has time? Hey, listen, this is an anti-reading podcast. We all knew that. Um, okay that's true you're right i'm sorry yeah yeah you apologize to me now um so this is i need to say here like macarthur is both um you know a figurehead for a movement that's a lot bigger than him and also uh a movement that is much smaller than it may at first appear you know 80 percent of americans agree with churches remaining under the same regulations that apply to any other businesses the majority of evangelical christians agree that churches should not be open if it is not safe for them to open uh or at least that they should be held in keeping to the same standards as businesses which you know for the record are often too lax and there's why we keep having all these problems um, right. But still, I, I want to say that, like, by and large, which is not a thing we get to say about Christianity very often, they're mostly getting this one right. Uh, however, John MacArthur is sort of leading the movement of, of a small but very vocal minority of people that have decided that this is a civil rights issue. And, and we've mm. talked about this before. We talked about this early on in the pandemic. But now we are nearing uh, a boiling point of sorts. Uh, because John MacArthur uh, sort of put out a uh, a statement saying that we are going to remain open in defiance of not just uh, civil ordinances saying that churches need to remain closed in Los Angeles, but specific letters to him being like, hey, you have a big church. A lot of people are showing up. You need to stop this. And he's like, no. And in typical John MacArthur fashion... I, I pulled his little thing that he wrote to like potentially read on the pod and it's like 18 pages long and every single line is glossed with an irrelevant Bible verse. And it's just, it's just terrible. I did find a, an article from uh, Rip Pidcock in the Baptist news who said uh, he just counted it up. The statement used the word authority 31 times, right? 13 times and some form of head subject command or rule at least another 70 times. Oh, for Pete's sake. Yeah, so this is this is about That's a man <laughs> who uh, prides himself on being in authority and power, seeing that authority and power being uh, threatened. And so this is the moment where the church decides to get in the civil disobedience game. <sighs> Astounding. And they held a service on July 23rd, I believe it was. Uh, might be off on that date. 
2,500 people in the sanctuary, another 1,000 people outside, largely unmasked with no attempt at social distancing. I'm so upset. I'm upset all the time. But and it's like, I, I think what I need to say yeah. about this is, like, this is a thing that is affecting, like, my personal life. Like, like obviously, I don't know mm-hmm. people that attend this church, but, like, this is a conversation that is happening in churches all over the country. My mother-in-law's church voted this week to reopen in civil disobedience against this, like, un, uh, unconstitutional decree and no attempt to be like okay we're gonna try to have church in cars we're gonna ha- try to have it outside we're gonna try to have it socially distanced we're gonna make everybody wear masks like none of that no this is this is a defiance of what they have decided is an impingement on their free right to infect other people and endanger the lives of fellow christians i just i, I would like christians to tr- to try to one time sort of be on the correct side of something like even by accident would be would be cool. <laughs> there was something else that happened this week, which is that Smash Mouth held a concert. Smash Mouth held a concert. Yeah, I know. We were there. An incredibly <laughs> well attended concert. And I'm just gonna say, if your most pressing theological question puts you in the same camp as Smash Mouth, uh, you have fallen a, f- a field of scripture. <laughs> it is time to return. Or was Jesus the first All Star? Uh, we don't have to spend a lot more time on this because I think I think the reality is very plain to our listeners who are who are you know obviously here because they are critical of widespread evangelical culture. But just to put a fine point on it, the idea that the thing that the church most needs to be invested in right now is endangering its members in being poor stewards of the health and safety of the people that attend their church and the communities around them because goodness only knows. Uh, that if these people are showing up unmasked to a church service with thousands of other people, they're also going to their fucking Trader Joe's doing the same fucking thing. Like this, this is this is a thing that endangers not just the people that make these decisions, which has become you know the sort of talking point is like, well, if you want to mer- wear a mask, that's fine for you, but you can't infringe upon my freedom by doing that. But it's like, well, but actually, I can. Uh, because it's, <laughs> the whole point is that you are infin- infringing on my ability to fucking live uh, by not doing these things. That's, yeah, no. that's the whole liber- libertarian ethos. Like, you don't even have to be a socialist to come at the point. Like, how many times have I been in an argument with a dumb fuck libertarian telling me, like, oh, well, I mean, I think we should have all the rights. We should have the rights to do everything as long as it's not infringing on other people's rights. Are you unfamiliar with the concept of, of, uh, of illness? I mean, <laughs> a lot of these people are anti-vaxxers, so arguably, yes. Um, <laughs> uh, but it is... Let me just say, incredibly upsetting that, um, you know, a certain percentage uh, of our church is so devoted to the culture mm-hmm. war that they have turned it into actual war. Uh, that this is this is real violence being visited on their own communities and the communities that they uh, ostensibly serve in. And that article that I referenced from Baptist News earlier brought it home, I think, with a great uh, Bible verse from Isaiah uh, that I think I'm going to read. In, in defiance of shitty Christian tradition, uh, because I think it really... Wait, what? You're bringing in scripture? I know, to I our, know. To our podcast? I mean, to be fair, it was referenced by someone else. So this is this is on Rip Pidcock. That's on the, lo- that's, uh, that's on the line, Michael. But it's from Isaiah 1, and it's talking about people who place their priority on having religious services instead of caring for people. Mm -hmm. It says, hear the words of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the teachings of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough 
of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who asks this from your hand? Trample my courts no more. Your offerings are futile. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and, and Sabbath and calling of convocation, I cannot ad- endure solemn assemblies with iniquity. Wash yourselves. Mm. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. And plead for the widow. That's the uh, first time I've actually heard some scripture. And I have to say, it was better than I expected. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> God. We've said it before, and we'll say it again, that our socialism is informed by our faith, that our desire to care for the world around us is not because we're super cool, rad dudes with giant dicks, although we are. Um, Obviously. (laughs) And it's not because we are just the wokest people you will ever meet, although clearly, again, we are. Um, It's because we worship a God that cares about these things. And our God sees these sort of assemblies and he says, fuck that. I got no time for it. I don't need your sacrifices. What are you doing for the poor? What are you doing for the orphans? What are you doing for the widows? What are you doing to seek justice? And in a time when the people of our country are, and and of many other countries, you know, we've seen this in Bolivia this week. We've seen this in Belarus this week, which has a personal connection for me because Misha, uh, a friend of mine from Belarus, used to stay with our family for eight weeks every summer. Um, to help get him away from the radiation uh, in Belarus. And I'm sure if I went back and investigated, uh, investigated that you know practice as an adult, there would be some problematic shit to get into there. Yeah, no, uh, someone was being human trafficked, but still. Absolutely. But fundamentally, um, you know, our experience in my family was getting to love and care for a guy that I still keep up with and, you know, it lives in America now uh, and has a great family. Shout outs to Misha. In a moment where the world is rioting for justice. The church is rioting to stay inside. Yeah. And that'll do it for this week's episode of Shitty Christians. Like and comment and subscribe. We'll see us on iTunes. Yippee yeah. <laughs> uh, can I just say a personal thanks? Um, I have been behind on our, our emails. Uh, it's been kind of a crazy time for both me and Zach. We've both been traveling and getting up to some stuff, but we have received just a handful of, of really generously worded and generously sentimented emails uh, on people that are just uh, sharing their personal stories, saying thank you for the what we do, and uh, often asking very insightful questions that challenge us to think better about the work that we do. Uh, and I just want to say thanks. It really means a lot. This is not, I would never say that being a podcaster is challenging. Uh, <laughs> it is, it is, it <laughs> yeah, is a nothing yeah. job. Don't do that. <laughs> uh, it, well, it's, and it's not a job for us currently. It's a thing that we do because we're passionate about it. Uh, but it, it just it I really appreciate the the support and encouragement and um, and iron sharpening iron. It's it's been really helpful in what has been a challenging handful of weeks. So thank you to our listeners, um, everyone who listens, and especially those of you who have reached out with uh, kind words and sometimes uh, carefully considered criticisms. It, it's really valuable. Uh, I, I I will uh, I will just say I consider no criticism. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, Zach, Zach, Zach has a personal fuck you that he'd like to send to each and every one of you, but he wrote it really nicely on like a card, so you know it's never going to get here because we've defunded you know the postal service. But uh, just know that he really put some time into that fuck you. Yeah, there's some stationery going on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He he risked himself to uh, risk his own personal safety to get to uh, raid a papyrus so that he could really bring you the best.
Oh man, is there anything else we need to get into today, Michael? No, I think that's it. I think we've we've covered it. We've done we've done the best of shitty Christians. Uh, we 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 now understand uh, the state of the world slightly better than we did before. And you know, my eyes have been opened, and my brain is currently melting because of it. So it sounds like a pretty good episode to me. I'm Zachary Allard. You can follow me at Zachary underscore Allard on Twitter. Uh, I'm Michael Tabor. You can follow me at Michael Tabor. And you can keep up with all of our pod shenanigans on at shitty underscore pod. Or reach out to us at crappychristians at gmail.com or our website shittychristians.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, Stay safe. uh, Be well. uh, Don't go to church. And uh, if I can ask you to do two things between now and next week, it's dismantle capitalism from the ground up and rate and review us on iTunes. This is what you